and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. This episode is one of my favorites of the year. So last season, we did an episode called Unpopular Quilty Opinions. It was episode 523, if you want to go back to listen. And I had our staff and our listeners share their unpopular opinions, whether they were just for fun or more serious. And it was so insightful and funny. So we're bringing it back for a part two this season because I really could not get enough of these. Here's the thing I've discovered about unpopular quilty opinions. We're never alone in them, even if we sometimes think we are. As I was reading over emails from our listeners and hearing our staff stories, I found myself laughing out loud. I was totally relating to some. And there were a few things that I had never thought about before, and they really made me think. So I hope this episode brings those same feelings to you. There is no right or wrong here, uh, and I will be adding no commentary. It's just for fun, and I just love hearing from so many different voices. I'm going to turn it over to some of our staff first, so let's listen in. Hello, I'm Doris, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. I learned how to quilt when I was a teenager, and then I picked the hobby up again after finishing graduate school, so I've been sewing for over 20 years. As someone who designs and writes quilt patterns and edits a quilt magazine, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I'm what I guess you would call a lazy quilter. What I mean is, even though I know the correct or right way to cut, press, and sew, and I share best practices and tips with all of you in the pages of APQ and here on our podcast, I don't necessarily heed my own advice. Most of my quilt friends and retreat pals already know this about me, and they do call me out on it. I'm a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type of crafter. I've admitted to our listeners before that I don't iron my fabric before cutting unless it's really wrinkled. I just don't like taking the time to iron it, and I want to jump right in cutting out a new project. I do, however, check to make sure it is straight on the grain before I cut. Nearly every sewing or quilting pattern written tells you to read through the instructions before starting the project, right? Do you do it? I never read through the instructions. I jump right in and then often don't read the steps unless I can't figure a step out from the diagrams. Good diagrams are so important in any instructions. I know many others do this as well. I chalk it up to the fact that we're visual learners. Sometimes I check my quarter inch seam when I start sewing, but I don't bother just as often. With my own machines, I go by the foot and guidelines on the throat plate and assume that is accurate enough. I might have to go back and redo something when this leads me in a bad direction and I end up with piece blocks or units that are off on size. I have paid the price for all of my lazy quilting habits in the past, every single one of them. But my blocks and points and quilts typically come out the size they are supposed to be and look well put together after being finished. So I continue with my quick and lazy methods. However, on my next sewing day, 
I'm going to make an extra effort to follow the best practices and see if my results are worth the effort. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Stumbo, art director for American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. My unpopular quilty opinion is that I wish cutting mats didn't have lines and measurements all over them. Instead, I wish you could easily find cutting mats that were just plain, or maybe I would like them better if they just had measurements along the outside edges and didn't have all the lines and grids running across them. I actually really appreciate cutting mats that aren't double-sided, so I can flip them over and use the backside without lines. However, these are sometimes hard to come, come across. Many cutting mats are double-sided, which is great if you like to use the lines because it gives you two sides you can flip between. However, I rarely use the lines for measuring or cutting, and so I find the lines to be kind of distracting. The only time that I really find myself using the lines on the cutting mat is when I want to take like a really quick measurement or on the odd occasion that I need to cut something that is larger than my biggest size ruler and I'm too lazy to, you know, grab a secondary ruler and use with it. I try to always use my rulers for measuring cut lines instead of using the lines on the cutting mat. This way, I know my measurements are always consistent because I'm using the same notion for all of my cutting. And although many cutting mats are self-healing, they will eventually wear down if you consistently cut in the same spot over and over again. This can especially happen for commonly used measurements that quilters often use, like two or two and a half inches. So by ignoring the lines on the cutting mat and just using my rulers, I am able to always cut in a random and different spot with each cut. And while I'm on my little soapbox about cutting mats, I also wish that cutting mats were available in more neutral colors, like gray. Now, there are some really pretty colors available, but for my own personal taste, I prefer neutral colors so I can let my fabrics and my decor, you know, really be the statement pieces in my sewing room. Because I don't like the color of my current cutting mat and it kind of clashes with everything else in my room, I always tuck it away in my closet and I find that it has more potential for warping when I put it away in my closet if I'm not careful and put it away properly. However, if I owned a cutting mat that was a more neutral color, I would be more inclined to leave it sitting flat out on my cutting table. Anyway, that is just my personal opinion on cutting mats and some of the things I consider when I am ready to look for a new mat to purchase. But if you love bright and colorful cutting mats and you frequently use the lines and measurements, please continue to do so. I really believe that everyone should quilt using notions and methods that they love and that work best for them. Hi, I'm Allison, the designer of Quilts and More magazine. I've been quilting for around 10 years and for the majority of that time, I've sewed while standing up. Since I share a space with my office and guest room, I have a folding table that can be adjusted to different heights and stowed when not in use. I used to raise my table to around waist height when cutting and lower it back down to sit and sew. As you can imagine, I quickly got tired of moving my table up and down, so I started leaving the table at the higher position. By keeping the table at a consistent height, I have been able to easily transition between cutting, sewing, and ironing 
without having to shuffle a bunch of things around. In addition, I noticed that my shoulder pain was gone after long periods of sewing. This probably has more to do with the height of my machine compared to my shoulders than standing versus sitting, but whatever the reason may be, my body is much happier for it. Since I have a desk job and am sitting most of the day, it's a nice change of pace to be able to stand and sew. I can honestly say that I've never considered going back to sitting. In fact, just the other day, I was sewing samples at work where the machines are on standard sewing tables meant for sitting. And by the end of the day, my shoulders were aching. I also got tired of constantly getting up and down to trim and iron. If you struggle with shoulder pain or just get tired of the constant stand up, sit down of moving between your machine, cutting station, and ironing board, I highly recommend you give standing and sewing a try. I keep my foot pedal on the ground and use it as I normally would if I were sitting. The rest of my setup is exactly the same. I'm able to keep my cutting mat on the left side of the table and my machine on the right. My ironing board is located behind me just a few steps away. The room I sew in has carpet, so it's not as uncomfortable as standing on a hard surface. Though, after long days of sewing, my joints can get a little sore. It'd probably be wise for me to get an anti-fatigue mat, so that's something you might also consider if you're wanting to switch from sitting to standing. Hi, I'm Beth, and I hate drawing diagonal lines on the back of squares to make flying geese or triangle squares. It's just so tedious when I want to get right to quilting. Plus, sometimes it seems like I'm not getting the drawn line on exactly the diagonal, or I fray the fabric with my pencil. Definitely not a perfect method. I'm guessing a lot of you don't like drawing lines, so I'm not sure if this is an unpopular opinion, but maybe you didn't know that there are a couple methods you could try instead. When I'm making flying geese units, I just use my laser light on my sewing machine. This works well for smaller units because the laser extends the entire diagonal of the square. So I can just line up one corner with my needle and use the laser to make sure I'm getting the stitching all the way to the other corner on a perfect diagonal. Honestly, I find it easier to do that than trying to stitch on a drawn line anyway. Test before trying this to make sure your laser is accurate some machines allow you to adjust the laser, so just ensure it lines up with the needle so you're sewing exactly where the laser is displaying. If you don't have a laser light on your machine, you can use diagonal seam tape. Cluck Cluck Sew makes a nice one. This washi tape has a red center line and two black lines a quarter inch away from the center line. So you can use this for flying geese and triangle squares with no marking as well. This works well for larger pieces because you can extend the tape the entire bed of your machine. Then just line up your piece on the line you need and stitch away. You could also make your own with blue painter's tape or washi tape and draw the needed lines onto the tape. I haven't tried it yet, but I have seen this used for stitch and flip type blocks as well. Yeah, sometimes the units don't turn out quite perfect, but I found they are pretty close. I don't mind having to fudge just a bit when I'm sewing the block together. I'm all about figuring out ways to take the tedious tasks out of my quilting, but this is one of my favorites since I'd much rather spend my time sewing than drawing lines. Hey, it's back to me, Lindsay. So I get to share my unpopular quilty opinion now. 
I don't think it's necessary to have a large sewing space. And in fact, I think that can sometimes lead to bad sewing habits. So here's where I'm coming from. When I started sewing, um, I had part of a closet and a few empty drawers uh, to store my fabric, my projects, my supplies. Uh, I moved a portable ironing board and my machine to the dining room table when I wanted to sew. Uh, And then about five years ago, we moved into a larger place and I turned a spare bedroom into a permanent sewing space. And it was amazing. Uh, I now had a closet, a whole room to fit furniture and fabric. But here is what I quickly learned. You expand to fit the space you have. When I didn't have the room, I was very picky about the fabric I bought. Um, I always had a purpose or it was something I really loved. And I usually only worked at one project at a time. And I had no UFOs because I didn't have the space to store many projects. I owned one really good quality version of all of my necessary tools. And I always had to keep my space organized and clean because I was sewing in a shared space that other members of my family used. And now that I have a larger space that's just for sewing, my fabric collection has uh, tripled, quadrupled, who knows? I own much more than I can use. Um, and some of the fabric I don't even like truly love. I just have the room so I can keep bringing it into the space. Uh, my works in progress and my UFOs did explode and I sometimes feel a little scattered in my space. And I stopped being so picky about my tools. You know, in fact, I own multiples of things that I don't really even need to own multiples of. Like I have I have four bottles of spray starch. <laughs> um, I keep buying fusible web, even though I have some stashed away because I just, you know, don't always see it. Uh, and remember I have it and I have so many rotary cutters. I don't know why they have multiplied. I own so many. Um, and you know, none of this is bad. In fact, it really felt like a luxury to me to have this whole space for myself and for my hobby. Uh, it felt very lucky and I'm thankful for it, but it definitely has me developing habits that do sometimes stress me out. Um, I do a yearly declutter of my space now to get rid of things, but it's really hard to cut down on things once you've kind of expanded into that space. Um, In fact, I've actually been thinking about turning my sewing room into a shared space, again, uh, part sewing and part spare bedroom. I, I find comfort in having that space be more usable for others in my home and also having those limitations set for me so that I don't bring more and more into my home that I don't necessarily need. I'm kind of like longing for a little bit of, you know, my more simple sewing days when I could find, you know, just really purposeful time to work on a project that I truly loved. Okay, now I'm going to share some unpopular opinions we had submitted by our listeners. So these first few opinions are from Maria Murphy of Port Orchard, Washington, and she says, the phrase quilt as desired needs to be banished from the quilting lexicon. If I am purchasing a pattern or a magazine because I want instructions on how to make a quilt top, then I also want instructions on how to quilt the quilt top. 
And while I love the beautiful quilting done by professional long armors for the display quilts, it is also needful and appropriate to include quilting suggestions for those of us quilting on our domestic machines. If the quilt top pattern is labeled as easy, then a suggested easy quilting option should also be included. Just as more than one colorway suggestion is often included with patterns, a couple quilting ideas should be included. A second unpopular opinion, I will not make a quilt on commission. There is no way that you will be willing to pay for what my time is worth, let alone the actual material costs. If you want to own one of my quilts, shop at the charity fundraisers that I donate them to. That way your money goes to the charity and I get to feel good about donating items to help raise money for causes I care about. Susan Bishop says, I dislike the fad of quilting so dense that it takes over the quilt and makes the piecing second to it. Katie Scott says, I don't like low volume scrappy backgrounds or that quote quilt swirl pictures of finished quilts that so many put on Instagram or their blogs. Both have seemed very popular for a while. Lolly Wiggle says, I do not do blocks of months. I don't want to make a quilt that lots of people are making. I like myself, my self-designed quilts. Kathy Cunningham says, I have two. I don't like people telling me to slow down. I quilt the way I quilt and I like it like that. Also, I do not like having to wash quilts of valor before they are donated. I love the crisp whites and deep contrast between the colors. Drives me nuts to lose that crispness. Donna Leinberger says, In my opinion, tied quilts are a waste, even if they are donated. If you take the time to make the quilt, fully quilt it. Jill Califora says, I have a few, but I have one in particular. I see people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a sewing machine only to then put it on an Ikea table. Then they talk about shoulder, back, and neck pain. I feel a quality sewing table is worth the money because it really does save your body by putting you in a more ergonomic position. Jan McLowry says, I don't care if all my corners don't evenly line up. Life's too short to stress out about getting everything perfect. Leslie Fitzgerald says, You don't need a bunch of fancy rulers or gadgets to create beautiful quilts. And pins are overrated. Deb Heen says, I don't understand buying a kit to make a quilt that will look exactly like hundreds of other quilts. Paula Lagas says, I hate scraps. I give them all away. I don't like scrappy quilts either. Whew, you know, I could read unpopular quilty opinions all day. They are so fun. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed hearing all of these that we shared today. So these type of podcast episodes are my favorite. Um, so we wanted to tell you about another one we have coming up where we need our listeners' help. So in September... We're doing a podcast called Ask Us Anything. Uh, We do these periodically, and they're always so fun to hear your questions. So email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. This email is in your show notes. I can't wait to hear from you and hear your questions. 
We have to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing tips for working with metallic thread. Hey folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living and Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel and Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. Welcome back. Now I'm handing the mic over to Doris for what's on your workspace. Take it away, Doris. Hello, I'm Doris, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, here to share what's on my workspace. Every July, I attend an out-of-state retreat with a tight-knit group of friends that I only get to be in the same room with that one time a year. I live for this retreat, and it is more rejuvenating for me than any other vacation or getaway. I just returned from the five-day retreat, and as usual, I came home inspired, full of joy and happy memories, and motivated to sew like no other time of the year. I recently spoke to a quilt designer that mentioned she didn't think she could complete the quilt she was working on last year because of the emotional baggage attached to the quilt. I understood and empathized with that comment immediately. I've shared with our readers and listeners before that I have a longtime UFO, a beautiful hand-pieced quilt top that took over four years to piece, that I then put away and left untouched for roughly six years because the quilt held so many emotions, both good and bad, and was a tangible reminder of a tragic loss. This group of friends helped me through the grief at that time and in the years since, and enabled me to be able to pull that project back out to work on it again. At our July 2021 retreat, I started making bias strips and appliquing borders for the quilt. And I did take it along to this year's retreat, but I didn't have time to pull it out. But since I returned home from retreat a little over a week ago, I have been working on it as often as possible. I love everything about this project. The fabric, the design, my border design, the colors. Oh, the colors and the fabrics. And all the memories and emotions it contains for, for me, even the challenging ones. I am thrilled to be working on this again and will hopefully be well into quilting the quilt by the end of the year. Thanks, Doris. Now it's time for Ask Us Anything, where we answer our listeners' most pressing quilting questions. And today's question comes from Kathy Kathy Little. She asks, I'm working on quilting a few Christmas quilts and plan to use a metallic thread to add extra sparkle. I've never sewn with metallic thread before. What do I need to know? Great question, Kathy. Uh, I myself have quilted a Christmas quilt with metallic thread once, and it was a very frustrating experience, (laughs) but it does not have to be hard. So you just need to know the tips for making it go smoothly. So first, you'll want to switch your needle out to a 9014 metallic or top stitch needle. So these size needles have a larger hole to prevent um, chafing and splitting. You know, metallic is a, you know, a thicker type of thread. So it's important to give it space to move through the needle without rubbing too much rubbing. 
So another way to reduce that friction, that is really what causes the issues when you're using metallic thread is to reduce your top tension by one or two points. So you probably want to refer to your machine's manual to see what recommendations they have. Sometimes they actually state if you're going to use a metallic thread, what your machine would work best with. Um, but then you'll also want to test things on a scrap piece of fabric before you start quilting your project. You know, depending on if you're using also like metallic thread in your bobbin, or maybe you're just using like a cotton or polyester thread in the bobbin. You'll just want to make sure that the tension is fine, your stitches are smooth before you start sewing on your project. So if your machine has a vertical spool pin, now is the time to use it. Metallic thread is flat, so it's much more prone to breakage if it has to twist around the spool like it would if you were using a horizontal spool pin. So you essentially want the thread to come straight off the spool to feed through the machine. So if your machine doesn't have a vertical spool pin, there are some other types of uh, devices you can buy that help, um, such as there's one called the Thread Tamer Thread Stand, or there's something called the Thread Director. So there's options out there to help with, you know, if your machine doesn't have that option of a vertical spool. Now, when you're quilting, you want to elongate your stitch length to about three millimeters and slow your stitching down to keep things running smoothly. And when you're picking your machine quilting designs, do it in a smart way. Like metallic threads are great for simple quilting, larger quilting designs, uh, maybe not necessarily the best choice for tight, intricate, small designs. So we hope these tips help as you embark on your metallic quilting journey. Uh, I am sending you lots of luck because I know it can be frustrating when you're using a brand new type of thread uh, to do, do a quilt and you don't want to ruin that quilt, of course. So we, we wish you lots of luck. So we're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing stories of quilters making a difference in their community, as well as some listener tips. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic over to Allison for Quilting Changes Everything. Enjoy. It's always fun to see young generations take an interest in sewing, especially when they use those skills to help others. This story comes from a classroom in Scarborough, Maine. Marie Trombley is a fifth grade math teacher and also an avid quilter. She decided to use her sewing machine in the classroom to help teach students about geometry. Students learned how to design a quilt square using different angles and measurements, and then they actually worked on sewing those blocks together. As students finished their blocks, Mrs. Trombley worked on sewing them together to make two quilt tops with the goal of donating them to the Homeless Memorial Blanket Project, which raises awareness about homelessness. Students worked on other math lessons as well, but after they finished their work, they used their extra time to work on their quilt blocks. Sherea Quinn, one of the students, said, It was like putting together a puzzle, and when we were putting them together, it was really beautiful, and the colors just came together. After about four and a half months, the quilts were ready to be donated. 
After the quilts were donated and the school year was coming to a close, Mrs. Trombley and her students reflected on the experience. One student said, it makes me feel really good to know that our creativity and hard work are going to keep somebody warm and safe. Another student said, being able to do that at this age makes me feel like anyone can make a difference. It's obvious that Mrs. Trombley is passionate about helping her students learn and it's so apparent in her reflection of the project. She said, to have something positive that the kids could put their energy into really helped, and I think it made us feel like we can't fix everything, but we can do this. We can do one thing. Teaching needs to have a purpose. It can't be because we said so, and it can't be because it's the next lesson, and it can't be because it's on the test. It has to have a meaning to it for the kids to buy into and feel passionate about it. So this brought all of that together. It was what I was supposed to teach, but in a different way and with purpose. Thanks so much, Allison. Now it's time for listener tips, where we share the genius sewing hacks our listeners email to us. And today's tips all come from one listener, Shelly Bayer who caught up on a lot of episodes during our summer season break we had, and she emailed in to share her thoughts and tips. So Shelly's first tip refers to episode 543, where a listener needed advice stabilizing a ruler while cutting large pieces of fabric. Shelly says, you can buy a ruler handle that helps put on extra pressure. Hardware stores sell them as shower handles, and they're much cheaper than the quilting ones. I use an 8-pound kettleball weight I got on clearance for $5. Once I have the ruler in place, I set the weight on the far end, and it keeps the ruler from shifting. You can also use a hand weight that's between 5 to 8 pounds. Love those ideas, Shelly. I am obsessed with using products from like non-quilting stores for your sewing room. I think it's so clever. Uh, also, I'm just guessing that you probably have like the most toned and muscular arms if you're doing eight pound weights when you're cutting fabric. <laughs> so now Shelly's next tip refers to episode 544 about cleaning machines. And Shelly says, I've read you should clean your machine after so many hours of sewing, but that's hard to track. To make it easier for me, I wind five bobbins at a time. When I run out and have to wind more, that's the time to do machine maintenance. I wind five more bobbins, clean out the dust, oil it, and change the needle. Shelly also had a great substitution for a clapper product. She says, I resisted buying a clapper for a long time because I thought they were expensive for a simple piece of wood but I gave in and I love it. It's great for flattening seams. I also have this heavy unfinished cabinet door that I use as a clapper for a whole block. It's awesome and I highly recommend it. Uh, great idea, Shelly. I like the idea of a clapper for a whole block by using a larger piece of wood. Uh, I have tons of wood scraps lying around, so I might just have to give this a try. So if you have a tip to share, please email me at apqpodcast at meredith.com. I always love hearing from our listeners. Uh, you're really just the most clever quilters I know. And that's it for today's show. Everybody have a really great week.
all, and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week. Thank you.